Shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you.
For the Lord delivers the needy when they call, the poor and those who have no helper. From oppression and violence, God redeems their life. And their blood God's God of our hopes, Christ of our faith, Spirit in our hearts, we come to worship you with joy and gladness. Your goodness knows no limits of generation or gender, of condition or citizenship. You are kind to all. And we worship you in all sincerity, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Good morning, and welcome to our service of worship at the First Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. I am at the Reverend Megan LeCluse, and along with Fran Kramer playing piano for us this morning and Evan Graver singing, we are glad that you have joined us for worship. We are especially thankful for, for Fran and Evan this morning, who stepped into these roles a little bit last minute, as Andrew Sin, our director of music, is home with some non-COVID sick kiddos. Baron is also away on some time off after a full Advent and Christmas season. I do want to call a couple or your attention to a couple of announcements on the back of the bulletin. First, there is a new members class that will be happening on Tuesday, January 11th. If you or someone you know may be interested in becoming a member of our congregation. And also, we have an exciting book study coming up starting in a week and a half on Begin Again, James Baldwin's America and its Urgent Lessons for Our Own by the Reverend Dr. Eddie Glaude, Jr. And if you are interested in joining that or becoming a member, you can contact the church office or Barron. Also, we will not have a fellowship hour right now just to keep ourselves safe. But we do hope that you will find a way to continue being a part of our congregation. Let us now continue our service with our prayer of confession. As we enter this new year, let us pause to confess our old ways of sin and embrace each new opportunity Christ presents us. Let us confess our sins first together and then in a time of silence. Creator of the universe, we stand amazed at your power and glory. We are eager to worship you and offer our praise, but we are often reluctant to answer when we hear you calling our name. We sing our songs of tribute in the sanctuary, but shy away from the river lest we be baptized with the fire of the Holy Spirit. Forgive us when we forget your promise to be with us always, O God. Renew us with the power of your ever-present love, and strengthen us to proclaim your justice throughout the world. Amen.
words of our Creator, spoken through the prophet Isaiah. I have called you by name. You are mine. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. Believe the promise of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Our first scripture lesson this morning comes to us from the prophet Isaiah in the 60th chapter. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from far away, and your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice, because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephra. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. Here ends our first reading. Our second reading comes from the letter to the Ephesians. In the third chapter, starting at the first verse. This is the reason that I, Paul, am a prisoner for Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. For surely you have heard, already heard of the commission of God's grace that was given me for you, and how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I wrote above in a few words, a reading of which will enable you to perceive my understanding of the mystery of Christ. In former generations, this mystery was not made known to humankind, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That is, the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and sharers in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I have become a servant according to the gift of God's grace that was given me by the working of his power. Although I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to bring to the Gentiles the news of the boundless riches of Christ, and to make everyone see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the wisdom of God in its rich variety might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose that he has carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have access to God in boldness and confidence through him in faith. Our third and gospel lesson this morning comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew in the second chapter. 
In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we have observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler, who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men, and learned from them at the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another word, by another road. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. in my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. The Christmas story, in whichever gospel you read it, is not exactly what we see on greeting cards or in paintings. Sure, the people we see in the nativity scene are the same people we read about in scripture, but it's too pretty, too clean, too missing a lot of the reality of what is really happening. And the pretty images leave out a lot of what is at the heart of this story, don't they? It captures everyone coming to worship the baby, and yes, this is a critical part of the story. 
But when you start to unpack the image, there is so much more to the Incarnation. The story of the Incarnation, different pieces of which we find in each of the different Gospels, gets at God choosing to join us in the messiness of this life and inviting us, all of us, to join in the work of making our world a little more like the kingdom of God. What do we not see in the images on the cards? Well, first, in these images, Mary and Joseph always seem pretty put together. Mary doesn't look like she just gave birth. They were a young couple, probably very young. Mary had ended up pregnant out of wedlock, and still Joseph agreed to be her husband. But we don't know, outside of Elizabeth and Zechariah, how their families reacted. Why wasn't Joseph traveling with his family to Bethlehem to be registered? Why weren't they staying in the same place? Were they deceased? Or had they possibly chosen to distance themselves from their son, their nephew, their cousin, when he chose to still wed a pregnant woman? Why is there no mother or auntie to help them with the birth? And when they arrived in Bethlehem, there was no room for them in the end. Mary is probably in labor at this point, dusty and tired from the journey. And whether the manger is in a stable out back or in somebody's house where they keep the animals inside to add warmth for the family, I can't imagine it was a comfortable birth. Yet these two people, a carpenter and an unwed pregnant teen, are who God has chosen to bring Jesus into the world. Speaking of the lack of family beyond Mary and Joseph at this scene, do you know who else isn't in these images? The old people. And though they may have not been present at the moment of birth, this bothers me. I mean, Elizabeth isn't young, and a pregnant grandma is quite the image. I admit, I have not really seen paintings of a pregnant Elizabeth. But Elizabeth's pregnancy is the miracle of God at work. Thinking about Elizabeth, thinking about all of this, reminds us that God doesn't show up in pristine images and places only, but in places and ways that may shock and astound our sensibilities. Anna and Simeon aren't in the images either. But they know who this baby is when he is taken for the temple to his dedication. They see and tell who he is and will be. The wisdom of our elders matters, and it mattered greatly in the Christmas story. Their faith, their openness to God showing up and working in totally unexpected ways, and their openness to being a part of that work teaches us all about the attitudes that we should carry throughout our life. So it bothers me that they don't make the cut, that they don't make the story that we see images of. The shepherds, though, 
they make the scene, and it's a good thing these images aren't scratch and sniff. Or we may think twice about the shepherds being there. The shepherds were ordinary guys with run-of-the-mill jobs. They were nobody super important. They weren't dignitaries or even religious leaders. But they were who the angels appear to and sent to worship the child. They were the first to know. I'm guessing they showed up a little bit less clean than they do in the paintings. Finally, we get to the ones we read about today, the wise men or the magi. I'm going to invite us to spend some time with these guys because though they appear to be the dignified, wealthy ones in the scene, and they may have been, going home by another way was an act of resistance. They defied a king to do what God, what they felt God had called them to do. Let's go back to the beginning of the story, though, and work our way through it, including what happens after we stopped. In the hodgepodge of people that is the Christmas card, the wise men are also unexpected participants. They were foreigners from the East, and astrologers, a practice condemned within Judaism and much of Christian history as well. Truth be told, as astrology has regained in popularity over the last few years, especially amongst young people, many of us have probably looked askance at it. The people who have paid attention to the signs of the night sky are not the people that we would expect to know when the Messiah was to be born. Yet the Magi acknowledge Jesus for exactly who he is. They say that they have come to pay homage to the child who was born King of the Jews. These men clearly have some sway to get an immediate audience with King Herod. Herod was the Roman client king of Judea, so not as powerful as the Roman emperor. But still, he had a lot of power, especially over the Jewish people. What these visitors were telling him threatened that power, at least as he saw it. Even if Herod condemned astrology, he clearly felt it had some validity to it because he didn't just laugh at these visitors and what they said. He was frightened, it says, and all Jerusalem with him. So he tries to use a trick on them, getting them to confirm where this child was so that he could then go after them and worship the child too. Though we all know Herod had no intention of ever doing that. A dream with an angel clues the Magi into that trick, and they decide to go home a different way, to not go back to Herod and report, as he had asked them to do. That was a bold move. They were people used to looking for and reading signs, and so they must have known to trust this dream and that it was from a higher power. And they were people with some level of status and a decent amount of wealth, which probably gave them some feeling of security. 
But that all said, they directly disobeyed a king. Someone who, it is clear, had a lot of power on his own and was willing to use it in lethal ways. As the story continues in Matthew, an angel appears to Joseph in a dream as well and tells him to take the family and flee to Egypt, which they do. The young couple now becomes refugees, and Herod orders all children under two to be killed. Talk about that level of fear, that you would order your own people's babies to be killed, to try to preserve your own power. And Herod is an old man at this point. The Magi probably hoped to get some distance between themselves and Herod before he figured out what they had done. But still, they had to know that what they did could have consequences for them, could cost them their life if caught by the wrong person. The Magi aren't simply some guys who show up to see Jesus with camels and gifts. They are people who defied the orders of a government official in order to follow God. I realize that sounds like a political statement. Over the last few years, probably almost all of my clergy colleagues have had someone tell them that they should keep politics out of the pulpit. And I know it can get tricky when you start to dig in and apply. But that's the reality of God, and that's the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is challenging stuff. I will be the first one to admit that. Yes, God is our comfort and our strength and invites us to rest in that. But we should be resting to go do hard, sometimes uncomfortable stuff. Dr. Kenda Creasy-Dean at Princeton Theological Seminary talks in one of her books about what teenagers need from the church if they are to engage in a life of faith. And she says that what the church needs to offer them is a faith that is worth giving their lives for. The young people I work with, some who are in their later teen years, would be far more interested in the messy reality of these people in the nativity scene and the implications of what that means for following God than in a pretty, pristine image. It probably shouldn't be surprising to me that we took God's masterpiece and changed it into a masterpiece better suited to our tastes. Maybe some of Herod's fear lies within each of us. Fear of what might happen if we let someone else have power. Fear of what change may look like. Fear of losing some of the comforts we may be used to. Or realizing that some of our assumptions about certain people or groups of people may be wrong. God invites us to step beyond that fear, to see the world that God knows is possible, that God longs for for us. This world is represented in the seemingly bizarre nativity story and the collection of people that God brings to it. 
You may have heard me say this before, but one of my favorite scenes in C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is a conversation that occurs when the children meet Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. The children have assumed Aslan to be a man, but Mr. Beaver corrects their false assumption. Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Then he isn't safe, asks Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Did you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. What a beautiful way to describe God, to describe following God. Of course following God isn't safe. Just look at how it turned out for the disciples and where it can lead us in our own lives. But God is good, incredibly good. And following God is good and can lead us to places we never dreamed of. It can help us shape a world we think we can only dream of. The Christmas story isn't safe either when it breaks out of the pretty images. Don't get me wrong, I love those images. But they don't really tell us the whole story. It's a wild story, isn't it, of young, probably terrified new parents who had a daunting road ahead. They were being given gifts of burial ointments for their child. A story of common shepherds being visited by angels and given the opportunity to see the baby first. Of astrologers from the East bringing incredible gifts and defying the wishes of a king in order to protect the Son of God. You also may have heard this reading from Howard Thurman before, possibly from this very pulpit, but it seems a fitting place to end. When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock, the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among others, to make music in the heart. It won't always be easy. It may not be safe, but the message and the work of Christmas, of the Incarnation, are good. The good news for all the people. And it may look different than we ever imagined. And for that, thanks be to God. Amen.
together confess our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a sibling in need and yet refuses to help? Friends, let us abide in God and share our gifts in love, gifts of our time, talents, and offerings. You are invited to bring a gift forward during the offering or after the service, and you can also give online as you are able.
God of the nations. Your star has risen in the night sky, guiding us to Christ, your Son. The radiance of your word made flesh fills us with awe and wonder. Keeping our eyes fixed on the glory of Christ, we pause here to lift our earthly concerns and our human needs to you in prayer. Favorably hear us, O God, for your mercy is great. In the aftermath of devastating storms and fires, when the earth feels set against us and the climate rebels from our abuse, guide us, Creator, into right relationship with the natural world. Help us heal and restore the earth even as we work to rebuild homes, businesses, places of worship and communities after storms. We are grateful for the home our earth provides. May we learn to live with her in peace. We pray for all those who are sick today in body, mind, and spirit. Be with them. Place your healing hand upon them and upon those who love and care for them. God of grace, comfort those for whom this new year brings not promise but pain. We grieve with those who have lost loved ones in 2021. We pray for those who can't find their way to hope. We understand those who don't want to begin again, who are frustrated by change, who want a clear and certain path forward. Encourage us, God, and walk with us into this new and uncertain landscape. Guide us in your path of peace. United as the body of Christ, we lift these prayers to you, Savior God. Hear us now as we pray the prayer Christ taught us by saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
So as you go out, as you see images of the nativity, appreciate them for what they are, for their artistry and beauty. But then think about who's in them. The new parents trying to figure this out one step at a time. The ordinary shepherds invited by God to do an extraordinary thing. And the magi choosing to defy authorities in order to follow God. And know that this is the story that God invites you to be a part of. The story of the breaking in of the kingdom of God. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you and abide with you this day and always. Amen. Thank you.